Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you heard all the rave about the new Quick Grill located inside the Be Quick Chevron on Veterans Boulevard? Come visit Be Quick Chevron along with Quick Grill, Be Quick Food Marts, your locally owned hometown convenience store, wherever you are. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert and I am coming at you live from Founder Square at the Neshoba County Fair. We have relocated the Element Well Studio to Founder Square for the next two days. Mississippi's a giant house party. Rhino safe and sound back in the Super Talk headquarters studio on this hump day. It is hump day at the fair. We get things kicked off this morning. We've got a full slate of candidate interviews on tap for you today, but we get things kicked off with DeKeither Stamps. He's a candidate for public service commissioner in the Central District as a Democrat. DeKeither, good to see you, sir. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. So you're presently serving in the Mississippi House of Representatives. Yes, sir. Correct. You've yes, sir. served there uh, over the last uh, four-year term, and you've decided to uh, run for public service commissioner. I believe yes, you sir. did that as well in 2019. You yes, ran sir. for public service commissioner. Came up a little short by about 2,000 votes. Isn't that right? A hair short. Yeah. 49.6%. Uh, 40, Okay, so you got that etched in your memory, don't you? All right, so you decided to throw your hat in the ring again, taking on incumbent uh, Brent Bailey, Republican, running for public service commissioner. What motivated you, DeKeither, to jump back in the race? Well, I just uh, want to take the experience that we've gotten in the legislature and in government and move it forward because when the utilities started failing, that started making me look, go back and say, well, maybe I should try it again uh, because – Prior to the utilities filling, I was trying to do everything I could do to make uh, them successful. But now we got water filling, electrical systems filling, uh, Wi-Fi filling. So uh, I don't believe that failure should have a second chance. So what can the public service commissioner, what action can they take? What authority do they have to enable change as far as these failures are concerned? Well, the public service commission regulates water, sewer, electrical, telecommunications, and natural gas services around the state. And proper regulation with proper policies can move us in the right direction. So I want to take my experience while serving on the Public Utilities Committee in the House and my experience on the City Council managing a struggling utility. I know all about the struggles of dealing with aging infrastructure and customers who can't pay or won't pay. So I can bring experience from actually regulating a utility 
and uh, work with our utility providers across the state to provide better utilities for everyone. So certainly uh, in focus over the last year has been the, the water situation in our capital city, the city of Jackson. And, and honestly, I think most citizens out there just see a lot of finger pointing, mm -hmm. uh, pointing fingers mm -hmm. at others for being responsible for those failures. But in the meantime, the citizens of the, of the city of Jackson do not have reliable, potable water. What do we do? Well, it's not just Jackson. You know, oh, that, I agree. It's, I understand. It's, it's, um, but that's got national right. attention, that, though. So. The Jackson Utility services uh, many people yeah, all that's across right. Central Mississippi. Yeah, you're right. And so that's why we're moving forward again. Okay. Because we campaigned four years ago on taking over the city of Jackson and the water system, and those things weren't done. And so we're going to move forward to aggressively um, take over the whole system because for the federal government to take it over, that's a failure at the city level and the state level. We don't need Joe Biden or uh, Donald Trump, anybody running our utilities. We can do this locally, and I'm going to lead the change to do that. How would you handle the office differently than the present office holder, Commissioner Brent Bailey? What would you do different? Well, we'd be more aggressive. Um, we won't be timid when it comes to handling any utility, whether it be Jackson or any other utility around the state. And from what we're seeing already, utility providers are leaning forward and saying, hold on, let me make sure I sharpen my pencil because my record on the city council in Jackson and in the legislature is I'm going to read everything. I'm going to know as much about your material as you know it. So I'm going to use my discernment to see who's lying and who's not telling the truth when it's time, when it comes time to brief us on things. And I'm going to use my courage to stand up and hold them accountable and let them know to their face that they're wrong and when they're right. So we're going to uh, continue to use the same experience we've had over our whole career to move our whole utility forward. So do you believe, uh, DeKeither, that your experience serving in the Mississippi House of Representatives mm -hmm. would be valuable in serving as public service commission? Most definitely. Because it's relationships. Even though I'm a Democrat, for me, when the Republicans are right, I stand with Republicans. When the Democrats are right, I stand with them. But when they're both wrong, I keep standing for the ratepayers and Mississippians. I see. So you also, uh, tell us about your background. You, you have uh, experience as uh, a veteran, right? A yeah. combat veteran. I retired from the I retired from the military. Um, I joined the Marine Corps when I was 18 years old, and when I came back to Mississippi in 2010, the Mississippi that I had in my heart all those years wasn't necessarily the Mississippi I saw with my eyes. Hmm. So I decided to step forward and do something about it. Hmm. So tell us about your district that you presently represent in the House. What right. does that encompass? District 66 covers uh, Byram, Terry, Utica, Learned, Raymond, and a portion of South Jackson, and I serve on the Public Utilities Committee. Uh, municipalities, uh, military affairs, agriculture committee, uh, constitution, and investigating state agencies. Are there any legislative priorities that you would put forth uh, forward to the legislature should you be elected as public service commissioner? Anything you think that we ought to enact into law? Any laws that need to be amended or new laws passed? We're going to build on what we passed. Uh, we passed a piece of legislation that gave the public service commission more purview into the city of Jackson. When we first got elected, yeah, we were hoping that that would lead to taking over the system, and then that didn't happen. And then we also fully funded their office, and we voted for a raise for the Public Service Commission because I really wanted them to be successful. Yeah, and but when the failure started to mount up, then I said, well, we need to go take this over. 
Have you talked to the mayor and city leadership about your candidacy to see where they stand? Because this is this is front and center, just a top problem, high priority problem for the city of Jackson. And as you said, the, the system serves some of the surrounding communities as well. Have you talked to them about it? Where do they stand? Well, they know they know me through and through. I proposed in 2014 to put a situation in place where the city of Jackson would have a city manager, which would basically take over the whole city. And that was two mayors ago. And this would be in lieu of the present mayor-councilman government structure? Correct. Okay. Correct. So I propose things that are game-changing and dramatic huh. for the city of Jackson How for was a long that received? Time. Oh, well, it was received well by some and was totally rejected <laughs> by others. But um, But now... I'm a firm believer that time will either promote you or expose you. Okay. And time has promoted us and exposed us to be right when it comes to Siemens, when it comes to changing the government structure, when it comes to corruption, and when it comes to failures inside our utilities. And we want to continue to build on our record and, uh, and move it forward. I'm sure you're familiar with the procurement policies of the city of mm -hmm. Jackson. I certainly am as a longtime vendor uh, to the city. And, and you're aware that they have a minority business enterprise participation requirement, mm -hmm. uh, generally speaking, in, in, their, uh, in their contracts. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that's good policy, or do you think that that may be holding the city back, that it might not uh, result in selecting the best value for the taxpayers of city in contracting well you know um i took a lot of heat in 2013 when we ran for office because that's when the people who were getting the siemens contract were at the table and you can imagine being a, a candidate for city council and you're telling folks that no you can't make this 90 million dollars because right. this 90 million dollars is not good no matter how and i think 47 million of that was proposed to be the minority vendors right and so i took a lot of heat from standing in the way of, of, of minority vendors getting $47 million. Right. But everyone knows now that I was right. So for me, I don't look at it as an across-the-board issue. I look at it with proper execution. Those policies can be effective. But with ineffective execution and ineffective governance and oversight, then you get greed, you get fraud, you get waste, you get abuse. And so for me, it depends on what the deal is, what it looks like, and how it's executed. I got you. So it may be something that you would visit with the legislature about, uh, because the legislature does have some power there where mm -hmm. they could prohibit municipalities from engaging in, in those sorts of procurement practices. Well, what I do is I'll take a look at it on a case-by-case -case basis. We have cases where you've had people on both sides do nefarious things. Yeah. And so what I want to do is look for what's right. Okay. If How it's a good deal, we move forward. we got about a minute and a half left. How's the campaign been going? That's going well. It's going well, and people are, are, are hearing our message, and we fundamentally believe that failure shouldn't get second chances. And every elected official must understand that you are what you deliver back to the people. Not about you being a nice guy. Is that resonating right. with the voters? Because people, people are receiving failure, and we believe that failure shouldn't get second chances. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, have you spoken yet? You scheduled to speak? Yeah, I spoke this morning. Okay, yeah. Uh, all right, so you feel good about the race? I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. So uh, we're asking the voters to come on out in the <laughs> primary and in November to come uh, bring the key to stamps to the Mississippi Public Service Commission. Are you the only Democrat in yes, the sir. Democrat primary yes, for Central District PSC? Yes, sir. Right? Okay. So then looks like you're, you're going to advance to the general election, mm -hmm. likely take on the, the uh, incumbent mm -hmm. Republican Brent Bailey. Mm -hmm.
Well, appreciate you coming on, DeKeith. Always Thanks good to time. talk to you, sir, and, and good luck to you in the campaign. And we'll see where this all shakes out here in a few months. It's going to be a ball, Mississippi. <laughs> sir, <laughs> we are stepping aside for a break right here on Middays. Once again, we're at the Neshoba County Fair. When we return, it's Brent Bailey, the Public Service Commissioner of the Central District. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert. Super Talk Mississippi. A little Van Halen bumping us into segment two of Middays Live from Founder Square at the Neshoba County Fair, <laughs> Mississippi's giant house party. Again, a full slate of candidates will join us on the program today under the iconic Super Talk tent uh, just off the side of the square. And joining us now is Brent Bailey. He serves as the Public Service Commissioner of the Central District. Brent, what's going on, man? Man, thank you so much for having me, Mr. Gerard. You managed staying cool? I, I am. They got me set up with a couple of fans I here. You know, that. I'm a big celebrity, so I get a couple of fans. <laughs> if they had really celebrity, you had them cooling fans. That's right. You, know, you see where I rank, obviously. Right. So. You, hey, you got to start somewhere. That's right. All right. Uh, you've already spoken. This morning, I did. Right? Yeah. did at 840 this morning when he was still nice and cool. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> what uh, Hey, Jimmy. <laughs> What's the it's my trouble. friend Jimmy Nichols yeah. works for Congress with Michael Guest. Uh, what's the message today, Commissioner? Oh, we just want to get out and share our message of uh, achievement. What we've been doing the last four years to represent the ratepayers and, and the consumers of Mississippi, and really out there trying to spread the word of of how we've been effective representing them. Uh, we understand. We know we had some hiccups, I guess you could say, and there's been some dissatisfaction in customer service, particularly last month as the storms rolled storms, through Mississippi. Yeah. Uh, but like I tell folks, you know, we can't control the weather. We can't control Mother Nature, but we can ensure that, you know, what our utilities are doing is in the best interest of their ratepayers going forward. You sent a pretty strong message, did you not, to I, I, uh, to Entergy during that period of time, and, and uh, you know, hats off to them. Uh, Haley Persackley, CEO of Energy, did respond. He did, and, and I appreciate that from I, 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 yeah, me as, as well as tens of thousands of customers in the state. You know, went days without power. We even had a gentleman in our own office go eight days without power, and you could just feel that frustration build up. And we had to do something, step out there, and make a statement. Um, Energy did respond. It, it was you know unfortunate that they made a public response nearly five days after the event and we can't customers in today's world as you well know being a talk show host and response you get as soon as you say anything online people want to have communications with their provider with their service provider um, and they want that back and forth they want understanding of when things will come back online so they can effectively plan going forward this, yeah. this, this put a lot of folks out. It costs a lot of people money uh, as far as food, medicine, hotels, fuel, those types of things. If, if people knew to plan, uh, 
they would have probably been much more um, um, forgiving, I guess you could say. Yeah. But the, the outage information, when the expectations of service to be restored, was just not there for a couple days. And that just that frustration really built up, and, and we had some disappointment from our office as well. But um, we're, we, we're planning to have constructive dialogue going forward with um, Entergy as well as other utilities. And uh, that shows in some of the work we've done in the past, our utility infrastructure review after uh, the winter storm of 2021. Right. And one of the key points from that review and from that outage event was communication, communication, communication. And that's something we're going to continue to push for um, from the PSC to our utilities and in turn to their customers. Yeah, I mean, I know from being in the customer service business, <laughs> dealing with technology, that as long as you've got the dialogue going, pe- people are pretty good about it. It's when there's no information, no update, no communication, the vacuum forms, and then people start jumping to their own conclusion, and that and that causes problems. And that does. That yeah. is. You're correct on that. But it sounds like that you and Entergy uh, are working through that, and I, I fully expect, I, I think, they're good folks. I think overall they do a great job uh, for Mississippi, and I, I think we'll see improvement there. I think so as well. They're, they're, they will be responding to our office by August 22nd, you know, a review of, of, of their actions and some questions we put forth. And hopefully this brings to light some perhaps some, some weaknesses in the chain okay. and ways we can address those and strengthen those, um, those bonds uh, internally, externally between the commission and Entergy. And, and first and foremost, for the benefit of the ratepayers in Mississippi. Okay, so besides um, the the rather unusual storms that we had, it was for it's very unusual it, it uh, was. A series of events there in June that seems like every other day was were rolling through and knocking trees down, knocking power out, causing all kinds of Stand problems. Stand back up, and do it again. Yeah, exactly. It, it and, that, and so uh, it, certainly we have to be sensitive to that. Yep. But besides that, and it sounds like that was an experience that we're all learning from. Uh, what's on the boards uh, in the next term should you be fortunate to be reelected? Well, this is certainly one of those things we're continuing to be, even though we no longer have, we've never really had true um, um, oversight of broadband, we're still a huge advocate in that office. And let's, let's stop and explain yeah. that. Yeah. I know you've explained yeah. that before. Yeah. Most of that's being deployed by the electric co-ops, and the, uh, the Public Service Commission doesn't have any purview over them. Is that correct? That's right. We can't tell them when and where to deploy service, but we do oversee the ETC process, the eligible telecommunications okay. certification, and by approving these plans for deployment, that opens the door for access for federal funds through the RDOF program. Okay. But we also have our, our BEAM office now. The Sally Doty runs it. Right, but we work hand-in-hand hand with them because consumers still reach out to us a lot, even yeah. though telecommunications was deregulated in 2012 in the state of Mississippi. Uh, we still, customers still want somebody to reach out to. Yeah. And we're more than happy to uh, receive those calls and get them pointed in the right direction for their provider on whatever their telecommunication needs are. Well, it overall looks like that that, that rollout is going pretty well. I, I think it seems we're to somewhat be in line with a, the expectation of the schedule. Of, that's right. A lot of money has come into the state over the last couple of years. We had a big uh, influx of dollars, and now the Beam office is developing a, a plan, an RFP of where to apply those monies, leverage them with the private sector market yeah. to get those services into unserved and underserved areas of central of the state, particularly in those rural areas that have not had the privilege or, or the um, ability to access high-speed internet. 
So as the incumbent running for Central District Public Service Commissioner, we just had a challenger, well, actually not a primary challenger, but would be a, a general election challenger to Keith Stamps, serving in the State House of Representatives. What do you say to the voters? How, how would you differentiate yourself uh, from him? Well, knowledge, experience, being in this, this realm for many, many years, uh, professionally conducting myself, representing the ratepayers. Um, decades I've been in this area and um, applying myself, putting in the extra hours, continuing to engage not just here in Mississippi across the Central District but also across the region and the nation with my fellow commissioners, learning from them as well. What about your team? My team got a great staff. Um, couldn't do it without them, no doubt about that, not just within the Central District but at the PSC as well. Very talented staff and uh, they've been through the ringer many times. Uh, they fought and uh, I lean on them a lot, and it's so helpful to have them there. But you know, we just want to continue to, to press that message that the PSC is not an on-the-job training right. opportunity. I mean, you, you've been yeah. in those areas. Yep. Um, things change. We have to be responsive to customers. Technology continues to evolve. we got to be prepared what's coming down the pipe from the federal regulatory side of things. Every day. How we can defend that and ensure that we continue to have reliable, affordable utility service, particularly on the electricity side. So is your team prepared to stay on with you at this point? They're oh, I, familiar? That, I, I think so. Board? I certainly yeah. hope I mean, so. you can't predict the future, but <laughs> right. uh, obviously they're excited about I uh, think so. yes, sir. you being reelected. I'm, I'm certainly excited okay. about the opportunity. And I, so continu- I, I, I say that because yeah. continuity is important. It, it is. Uh, we, we had that even transition from the last um, uh, group that was there. We kept a lot of those folks, and, and we continue to, to build on that, and bring new folks on, and um, it's just really having the honor and the opportunity to serve in this role. It, it seems like right. every day, Commissioner, I'm sorry to interrupt you, yep. but it uh, seems like every day the Biden administration is attacking something else that is related uh, to consumption of, of power, of energy. Yep. And the latest is, of course, water heaters. Uh, water. They're, they're going on the attack on water heaters, but they're telling us, oh, it won't go into effect till 2029. When do we get to the point that maybe uh, you coalesce with your peers in the other states and and maybe we have to fire up our respective attorney generals and then go to the Biden administration and say you're just going too far here. Yeah, so we do have a great working relationship a lot of the um, commissioners of other states, but you get things at the same time, there's other bodies and states that sure. have their policy sure. agendas and directions and you may not always see eye to eye, but the, you certainly respect that, um, particularly here in the southeast, our, our southern group of commissioners generally arming on a lot of these issues, and um, and we're evaluating right now a lot of these greenhouse gas emission rules and what the impact of that could be on our generation fleet. In the state of Mississippi, 80% of every yeah. kilowatt hour is generated from natural gas. And they don't like that. Biden doesn't like that. Certainly, I mean, <laughs> it's a clean energy resource for the most part, but we got to ensure we continue that 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 sustainable resource while continuing to diversify and bring in significant investment to the state of Mississippi, particularly in the rural areas. Fossil fuels are necessary for human thriving. That's all I'll say at that point. Well, and you look everything around you. Is, is <laughs> I understand. Your, your monitors, your table, the tent, I'm sure. You got it. Yep. But, uh, Commissioner, appreciate you coming on. Hey, thank you so much, Rod. Good Have luck a good to day. You. Stay cool if you can. Yes, sir. <laughs> Stay out of the sun. <laughs> you got it. We're coming right back with Bethany Hill, candidate for Mississippi Agricultural and Commerce Commissioner. Stay with us. 
Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi. everyone it is middays and we are live remote today from the neshoba county fair right in the heart of founder square and again we've got a full slate of candidates uh, to visit with you today we appreciate you so much for joining us uh, now in the element wealth set set up here in the square is bethany hill she's a candidate for mississippi's agricultural Agriculture and Commerce Commissioner running as a Democrat. Bethany, good to have you on today. Thank you for having me. So I caught uh, a bit of your speech this morning. You're, you're just about 30, 40 minutes removed from that, right? <laughs> yes, sir. Absolutely. It was a great time. It's a great honor to be here. This, you know, this whole event is very historic, and it's such a proud thing for Mississippians to have, and to be part of that, it's just a huge honor. Well, I appreciate you noting that. I, I, I caught you when you first got to the stage talking about what an honor it was to be at this on this historic stage. And that's absolutely, there is a lot of history uh, that has unfolded through the years on that stage. So tell us what, uh, what motivated you uh, to run for Commissioner of Agriculture and Commerce for the great state of Mississippi. So I was, you know, of course, raised on a farm. Mm -hmm. And so I understand the importance of being able to, for neighbor to depend on neighbor. It was important for my entire family to come together every year and ensure that we not only had a crop, but that we preserved it. And... Um, you know, that just instilled in me the sense of community that I feel like we're getting so far away from. And after COVID-19 and there were empty store shelves everywhere, um, you know, I remember what it felt like to not know where I was going to provide food for my daughter. Hmm. And I never wanted anyone in Mississippi to ever feel that way again. Uh, I was a cannabis refugee, so I had to leave this state to get cannabis medicine in another state for a long time. And I remember how it felt to have to leave home. And so when I moved back, that's how I became a cannabis activist, was I don't want anyone in Mississippi to ever feel that way again. Hmm. Um, you know, I tried everything, every avenue, every doctor, every medication, and nothing was helping. Uh, I'm a walking miracle. <laughs> you know? Interesting. And um, I just, I want people to be able to stay home. You know, there were about 30 of us when I lived out in Portland that were from Northeast Mississippi. Hmm. And we got together every holiday, and because um, we missed our big Southern traditions, right? Hmm. Uh, and I think at one point there were 30 of us at Thanksgiving. And I just never wanted anyone in Mississippi to have to leave that again. I, I wanted see. to provide a better Mississippi so that our our future can stay here and maybe even bring some of these people back home. Half of us have moved back home already. Uh, and that's such a huge honor, you know, to be able to be part of that movement and reuniting families and things like that. And, um, man, I'm a lucky girl. I know that I am. <laughs> Interesting. So agriculture, of course, represents more than a third of the state's uh, economic output, uh, 35, 36 percent, maybe even a little above that at this point. And historically, that's been the case in the state of Mississippi. So serving in this role uh, as the commissioner of agriculture and commerce, it, it certainly entails a lot of responsibility. What's your message today? Well, I just want people, um, you know, I've been 
working down in Jackson for the last few years, um, I, I'm really passionate about all of these policies and how they intertwine with other everyday things. For example, with Medicaid expansion and the food is medicine programs that are now emerging, um, actually we've found that there's an $80 billion uh, hindrance right now in the healthcare system due to food insecurity and poor nutrition due to all the ailments that come from that. So of course in an area of food deserts and um, you know, a lot of grocery stores are closing in the Delta, different things like that that are happening, all of these things tie together. And to be able to have a unique 50,000 square foot view, kind of being able to put pieces together when other people don't see how they all tie together, I think it's very unique. And I think I'm lucky that I have mentors, so many mentors down in Jackson that have led me to be able to learn so many things. Um, and I've taught them about cannabis and industrial hemp. I actually did recycling and composting compliance and regulation out west mm. in, a, in a major metro city. So I'm really passionate about hemp plastics and sustainability and composting. Uh, 40% of all food that is grown for consumption is actually going in the landfills. Well, we can do things to fix that. And that's viable compost that our farmers can actually use. So it all ties together, and it's time to get all those parts moving. And I feel like when we do, that Mississippi will not only change her workforce development, ec economic development will boom, of course, but what's going to happen is I think we'll finally step out in first place and be a leader to the rest of the world. Mississippi's doing it right. Do what Mississippi's doing. They know what they've got going on. And I feel like when we put all those pieces together, I mean, we're just stuck to win. We're going to be in the finish line. I believe I heard you say this morning in your speech that you thought we had a tremendous opportunity uh, to build up the, the hemp industry, specifically in our delta, that we could literally convert some of our delta land uh, to hemp, the crop of hemp, and that there's so many economic applications, uh, finished goods products that could be produced with hemp. T tell us about that. Absolutely. Um, so I'm really excited about the hemp in the Delta for not just, you know, like replacing the current crops, but even incorporating it in between because it rejuvenates the soil and different things like that that are really beneficial to what they're already doing. It's about including an extra product. It's not about eliminating other products. I see. It's about creating a better environment for our farmers to be able to create better food, higher yields, different things like that. And all all of these things tie back to hemp. I mean, hemp has been a part of humanity throughout time. I mean, in World War II, hemp for victory. You were, you know, trying to grow hemp to save the war effort. It was always part of who we were. And I feel like we've just gotten further away from that as it ties to a lot of people, you know, think it's just medical cannabis. Those are two different products. And with all the products that you can make from industrialized hemp, I mean, we're going to be last if we don't do this. Louisiana is going to beat us to the punch if we don't make, you know, our Delta just boom with hemp. And all the products that can be made in Mississippi factories that are sustainable, I mean, you're curing a worldwide crisis. What kind of action can the Agriculture Commissioner take specifically uh, to really promote this industry in Mississippi? Oh, absolutely. So, of course, education is always key. Uh, again, there's a big misconception that it's medical cannabis or cannabis with different THC levels. A lot of people don't understand that Farm Bill 2018 actually allowed 0.3% less uh, than THC. Then, of course, it's industrialized hemp. And plus all the products that it can make, people a lot of times don't realize there's an estimated 55,000 plus uses for industrial hemp. Hmm. That's a huge manufacturing boost. Um, not to mention that, you know, these, these factories and stuff, of course, as the economy boosts, you have better jobs, better wages, safer work environments when you know poverty and, and bad things kind of always go hand in hand right so when you tie all these things together now the hemp cultivation act of 2020 actually passed but we still don't have a hemp department at the department of ag 
Is that something you would establish? Oh, absolutely, yes. And, of course, getting the funds allocated for that is something I've been very passionate about. And funds from what source? Um, so the legislature. Okay, from the, state funds, uh, not federal. Absolutely, okay. yeah. And, um, of course, the only way to grow hemp in Mississippi right now is through the USDA. Um, so just being able to... and. You might be aware also that our medical cannabis cultivator also don't have the support of Mississippi Department of Ag. Uh, it's just into the Department of Revenue and Department of Health. Right. So um, I feel like these cultivators, and I speak with them often, you know, I, I feel like we're just missing out and the assistance that they need is just not there. And I know that I feel like cannabis medicine is the future. You know, and 38 states have now legalized, so they must think so too. Uh, and I do believe industrial hemp is the cure to sustainability. Okay. And um, I think that we're just running in last place over here. Besides the hemp industry, Bethany, what else would you prioritize if you should be elected to serve as the Agriculture Commission? I'm glad you asked. Thank you. Um, so I'm very passionate about food security. I'm really, really, really concerned. Um, you know, one in five people in Jackson worry about food security right now, but five out of five don't know if they're going to have clean water. And regardless of your race, your age, your sexual orientation, political affiliation, if you don't have clean water and accessible food, you're going to die. And I don't ever want a mother to have to worry about how to put food in her kid's belly. I, I want that to end. And I've been that. I've been that. You know, what can the, the Ag Commissioner do, Bethany? We've got to increase specialty crops. We have to increase. We have less than 1% of the state farming now. Mm. The median age for farmers is in the 70s. There is a massive problem right now with farmers and suicide throughout the world. And because things are so difficult and regulations in place, the weather, the extreme weather patterns, all of these things are factoring in, making it harder on farmers. So are these, uh, I mean to interrupt you, but are these regulations that could be uh, enacted and implemented by your department as if you were the Ag Commissioner or is this something we got to go through the legislature for? Well some of the things obviously you can and then some things you'll need the support of the legislature okay. but I really think when we all come together amazing things happen and I love working with other people and I you know I know that the Department of Agriculture is full of brilliant minds right now and it really just takes having the conversations and getting the ball rolling. Yeah. Um, also I've already been networking you know out of Washington DC and seeing what we can implement there and a lot of people are really passionate about the same things I am and they're, they're kind of the tone of the future um, and so I'm really excited that we're kind of getting ahead of the game so that Mississippi can finally be first. How's the campaign going? Wonderful. I never meet a stranger so I'm just having the best time. Mississippi is just full of amazing brilliant wonderful people and I just I'm so grateful to be back home. I really am. What's on tap for you uh, for the duration of the campaign leading up to the primary? Yeah, I've got several, several events coming up. Uh, I'm really excited about them. I'll be like in Starkville on Friday, and then I, we have a virtual debate again. I've already had one debate, and we have another one on Monday night. Uh, I'm super excited about that. And then I'll be down in Clay County on Tuesday. Awesome. So what what uh, what are the voters saying? Is your message resonating, you feel, when you talk about this? Absolutely. I think COVID, the COVID-19 pandemic really put things in perspective. A lot of us walked into big box stores and saw empty shelves and what do we do? And that wasn't just here. That was billions worldwide. The world came to a screeching halt. And I just don't want them to have that fear again. I if got you. Bethany, we appreciate you coming on Middays and good luck uh, in the campaign. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Bethany Hill, candidate for Mississippi's Commissioner of Agriculture and Commerce, has been our guest on Middays. We're taking a break right here from the Element Well studio at the Neshoba County Fair. When we return, it's Terry Rogers, also a candidate for Mississippi Ag and Commerce Commissioner. Stay with us.
Weekdays with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Middays, and we are live in the Element Wealth Studio, Founder Square at the giant house party of Mississippi, the Neshoba County Fair. We welcome to the program now Terry Rogers, a candidate for Mississippi's Agriculture and Commerce Commissioner. Terry, thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks for having me, Gerard. Always a great pleasure to be on. Yes, sir. <laughs> so we appreciate that. So tell us, uh, Terry, what compelled you to throw your hat in the ring here and run for Ag Commissioner? Uh, well, I'm the youngest candidate in, 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 in for the Ag Commissioner. Uh, I grew up in Jones College, which is in Ellisville, Mississippi. Chris McDaniels uh, represents us. Um, and, you know, I uh, was sitting up there, and they had a, a couple farmers come, and they were talking about, you know, how they were being mistreated and things of that nature. And they knew I was a community-oriented guy. And they said, well, you ought to run for uh, Ag Commissioner because you know in the community, we know you farm with your dad, so you might as well go ahead and run for it. I said, I won't run because you told me to. I'll run because God told me to. And uh, I prayed on it. God gave me an answer. And ever since then, we've been running this campaign and hit all 82 counties before any Republican or Democrat wow. statewide. Wow. Hit all 82 counties. All 82 counties. And we plan on doing it again after the primary. I got you. So I've seen that you are challenging your opponents to a debate. Tell us about that. Uh, well, of course. Uh, well, it's actually on July 30th. Uh, it's, it's good. So you got one scheduled? We have one scheduled okay. for the Mississippi Federation Democratic Women. Uh, if they want to have another one, we can go ahead and do that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, it's good for our people to understand that, you know, understand where they're coming from. Yep. We can go on and on about education and experience and things of that nature, but whenever it gets down to doing the necessary things, are you going to do it? A lot of people go on and on about experience, but a woman in Sunflower County, Gerard, a woman by the name of Fannie Lou Hamer, said it doesn't matter if you have a Ph.D. or no, if you went to Morehouse or no house, we're all in the boat together, Gerard. <laughs> <laughs> well, certainly from an agriculture perspective, since we rely on agriculture to produce food, we got to have food no matter what our political stripes right. are. You're right. There's not a Republican fruit or a Democratic fruit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what you spoke earlier this morning. What, what's your message today? Uh, well, my message was to uh, uh, show my platform, to show that, you know, I'm the only candidate you know, running back in Michigan that even got a better book about uh, food insecurities and things of that nature, about eliminating the 7% grocery tax, the low groceries for the poorest state in the United States, bringing future farmers of America in each and every uh, 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 high school, and, and even lower than high school, in kindergarten and on up, um, bringing, you know, every college and university to have uh, uh, an ag department program, uh, something of that nature, you know, I was the only candidate that really spoke about my platform and not going on and on about experience because at the end of the day, what are you going to do for me, not what you've already done. Gotcha. So what, what's your vision? Should you be fortunate to uh, be elected? What would you do? What's your, what's your, what are your priorities for the office? Um, make sure that our farmers have land and make sure anybody who wants to have farms land. We have billions and billions of dollars in which we're, you know, sending all over, you know, the federal government sending down and to these different places for different organizations, things of that nature. Imagine if we could have a billions of dollars for some of our farmers who are leasing the land and saying they're skyrocketing whenever they're leasing the land from these owners. Imagine they had their own land. I want generational wealth in the state. Uh, we need a, a, a youth commission at the Ag Department uh, because too many of our farmers are sending down this land and they're just selling it. Whenever they sell it, some of these big corporations, things of that nature, put 
you know, God knows what, these industrial plants which are killing us. And uh, another big thing, I don't know if you heard me, but I talked about, you know, there's even a, somebody, the Ag Department, uh, Secretary of Agriculture, I believe, uh, don't, don't, don't quote me on this, but I believe they were talking about trying to do lab-grown chicken. Now, I don't want to be cocked like a chicken up there, like I said. <laughs> it's time for us to, you know, try to get us back on track in the Ag Department. And that's something I believe, uh, fair leadership, you know, not just with the current incumbent, but the, the people who are running up against me, because the problem that face agriculture just didn't start today, Gerard. It started long before that on some of the platforms they're running on. Thirty-nine percent of our state's economy is the agriculture business. The agriculture industry is pretty important in that respect. Uh, how, how do we get, Terry, how do we get more young people to take an interest in farming? It looks like a lot of our farmers are kind of aging yeah. out. We have some of the oldest farmers uh, that you can see. They're great people, and they've been doing it a long time. But it's time, like I spoke about Joshua leading his people over to the problem land. It's about time to pass over the torch. Uh, that's something none of my opponents have really spoken about. So you bring Future Farmers of America. They have programs right now in different parts of rural counties and in places like North Dakota and things of that nature in which young people start off in kindergarten. And you look at some of those young people in which they implemented over 20, 30 years ago. Some of these are now farmers, and they're 20, 30-year-old farmers. So... Now, think about it. If we could do that in the state of Mississippi, start young and start helping build, you know, uh, our colleges and high schools and even lower elementary and getting them involved uh, and actually reaching a hand out to them instead of complaining about it and talking about the problems and, and put some policy in there to get the problems done. Yeah. Have you talked to some members of the legislature about your candidacy? Oh. we got about a minute left. What did they tell you? Oh, yes. I talked to Mr. Chief Taylor. All of them support me. The entire Black Caucus supports me. I mm -hmm. even got some Republicans support me mm -hmm. on, on, on the side of just having came at former Governor Ronnie Musgrove, I, I believe, is supporting me. And Ronnie Shiles just came out and endorsed me, former U.S. Congressman, uh, along with Mr. Johnny Dupree. Gotcha. Well, good luck to you, Terry, and thanks for coming on. Thank Have a good fair. Yes, sir. Anytime you need me. And God bless you. Vote Terry Rice second on August 8th. We're coming right back, folks. Uh, we've got Fox News, Super Talk News coming your way because it's top of the hour. And then after that, it's Attorney General Lynn Fitch, followed by Senator Chris McDaniel. He's a candidate for lieutenant governor. Stay with us. And now, and now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone it is middays from founder square at the neshoba county fair that was absolutely perfect timing we just enjoyed the national anthem being sung a cappella here uh, from the pavilion and we were standing at attention and it worked out just perfect we are back hour two of the program joining us now the attorney general for the great state of Mississippi, General Lynn Fitch. Always good to see you, General. Good morning. Great to see you, too. And yes, wasn't that a beautiful That was rendition? perfect. <laughs> uh, and for us to be able to stand here and honor our country and listen to that, that was just fabulous. Absolutely. It makes you proud to be an American, and we certainly are among a lot of patriots here 
Mississippi Patriots at the Neshoba County Fair. And this is really just exemplifies, does it not, the great traditions of uh, our democratic process as we get to hear from the candidates in an open sort of forum. Uh, they're, they're scheduled, of course, but they get to address the people that are going to be going to the polls there in a couple of weeks and casting their ballots. They have 10 minutes to tell the people what they're all about. Uh, you've spoken this morning. I heard you I a little spoke bit. this morning, absolutely. But you're exactly right. It gives everybody an opportunity, certainly to listen uh, to all the candidates, the incumbents. But one of the greatest things about here, too, is you get to fellowship, you know, friendships, people you might not have seen in a while, the opportunity to be together and really talk about what's going on in our state, have fun, enjoy this wonderful house party. Unbelievable. And when you look in the pavilion, uh, General, and you see the large crowds that uh, are sitting there for all the speeches, it, it makes you feel like we've got people that truly care about our country, our state. They're engaged. They want to hear what the candidates have to say. And they want to be informed voters when they go to the polls. Absolutely. You know, and you're exactly right, Jared. They're here because they're invested in the future. Uh, if they weren't, they wouldn't be here. But they are engaged. The people that are listening to us, people that are watching on the streamline, because, again, they are interested. What are we doing? What do our next days look like for Mississippi? And how do we rally together to make that positive impact? Absolutely. So what was your key uh, message this morning, General? Well, you know, we've just had so many wonderful successes and accomplishments together. I mean, everybody has been invested across the state. I'm, I'm very blessed to have this amazing team and you know we take very seriously our role to serve and to protect and to make a, a difference for all Mississippians so you know in four years it's hard to believe that um, we're getting ready uh, for our next race but but the things that have been going on that are so impactful for our state I mean look Gerard, we're going after the criminals we're prosecuting criminals uh, every day um, again that makes Mississippi safer that makes all Mississippians feel better about our state our community um, and at the same time we are very active in supporting our victims. Unfortunately, there are too many victims of crime. And so it is on our responsibility to help those victims get back and to become survivors um, and, and have hope and dignity to do just that. Because, you know, many times we see the crimes occur, but now we need to stop and uplift these survivors, these uh, victims, because it's a, it's a challenge for them. Early on, General, your office took a, uh, a strong interest in the, the scourge of human trafficking in our state. You've been on the program many times uh, talking about that. I know you've traveled around the state discussing it. Uh, how are we doing there? Well, you know, you're exactly right. We all together have been talking about it, communicating. I am grateful to you all at Super Talk. You've helped get the message out. And knowledge is powerful. So the more we talk about it, the more people can give tips and understand what to look for and how we can really help these individuals. So we've been working very hard, starting with our, our public, uh, private partners. And so in the last two years... Since we've all been doing together on Be the Solution, the, the first statewide initiative, we've rescued over 200 victims. Over 200. 15 of them were young children, Gerard. So sad. But we went after the predators, too. You know, we have absolutely um, made over 60 arrests for these predators to get them off the streets so that they don't take advantage of our young people anymore. Uh, we worked with our law enforcement, uh, and we've been able to train over 300 law enforcement across the state. So now they're certified. They know what to look for in their communities. And then we pulled in together over 40 uh, multi-jurisdictional operations. But, you know, 
again, we've now, in our office and with the partners, we've looked at it from a holistic approach. I mean, we, we work with our sexual assault nurses, our shelters, our counselors to help these victims. And that wasn't happening uh, before we all got engaged. And it's just so rewarding to know that we are changing somebody's direction, helping them get back into society. It certainly feels like it's been highlighted uh, over the last couple of years more than I can remember. Uh, in prior years, and I think getting more people engaged and, and just aware seems to be having an effect. It, it really is, you know, and it's all across, and people now don't really ask the question as much as they used to about do we really have human trafficking? They go, hey, I've, I've recognized somebody, I've called a tip in. And, you know, when we put out there, when we've been able to rescue and arrest, we've been able to do, uh, it just continues to solidify the importance for everyone to be a part of the solution. You know, not only there, but all the different things we're working on, Gerard, whether it's domestic violence, or we're about to come out with a new initiative called um, One Pill Can Kill, because look, the opioids are in our state, they're in our country, they're coming across the border in 48 hours. I've been down there. I've seen it. We're all border states now, and, and it's wide open. The cartels are running the border. But So when you kind of peel that back, how does it affect us? What's well, here, and it's affecting our children, our friends, our neighbors. We, we lost 237 Mississippians last year to a fentanyl mm. overdose. Mm. Number one killer, I think, of young people in our country. Mm -hmm. uh, last time I looked at the statistics. Let's shift uh, our attention to a, a different topic, General. Well, what about this Tidelands controversy on Mississippi's Gulf Coast? Tell us about that. Well, absolutely. Certainly, um, I have my office, I have a different view than Secretary Watson on that. Um, and the recent Supreme Court laws, you know, certainly uh, give the steering toward how we're following the law that they've set out, their decision. Uh, that's important. And um, we, we have a difference of how and view of how the law should be implemented. I, again, I'm going to always follow the Mississippi Supreme Court rulings. Sure. I just saw, just announced a few minutes ago that a U.S. judge, a Judge Wingate, has blocked a law in Mississippi that deals with absentee voting. Can you know about that? Have you seen this ruling that came out? What do you know about that? It, it absolutely. It just came out. Um, certainly in my office, we're to uphold the laws of the state, and um, we, we have a number of cases before Judge Wingate. We'll continue to look at this file motions, whatever we need to do to uh, best protect the interests of all Mississippians. And this deals with who could assist a person in casting an absentee ballot, is that correct? It does. It has to do with the definition, who's the yeah. caretaker, who's able to do that. So um, hopefully we'll, we'll follow these motions, we'll get some clarifications and be able to assist people that need to vote. Is uh, it is soon. it somewhat accurate to say that sometimes people who are infirmed truly do need some assistance, but you get into trouble when you allow just anybody, including maybe um, operators for a particular candidate to get involved in this and then uh, assist uh, someone to cast an absentee ballot. That's how we end up with some voting irregularities sometimes. Is that is that kind of an accurate? Absolutely. That's a great analysis. And, and to your point, we always want everybody to vote. Sure. I mean, it, that's part of the uh, democracy for all of us to have individuals vote and to be a part. Because if they're a part of this election process, then they certainly can navigate sure. who are the winners will be and what the policy and the philosophy will be. But, yeah, absolutely. Certainly we have um, individuals that need caretakers. They need assistance to vote. So this will help maybe set some clear boundaries for that. Any other cases your office is working on that are high profile that you can discuss with us? 
Well, we have a number of cases, of course. Uh, I think it's important uh, to note, certainly we're in the middle of House Bill 1020. We just had those arguments before. The Capital Complex Capital Improvement Complex District Bill, yep. In those districts. So, again, um, supporting our laws. Um, we had oral arguments there a couple of weeks ago. Uh, again, significant. Again, we should all be looking for ways to protect the interest, and certainly that is in Hines County. And for us, it's also an opportunity to continue our great work with the Capitol Police. How's the campaign going? Good, good. You know, you know me. You've known me a long time. I uh-huh. love to be out. I love <laughs> to see people. I love to talk about what's going on in our great state. Um, we do have so many exciting things going. We we need to continue to focus on the positive. What we're doing in our state. We are championing so many good things, and we've got some things that are coming up, Gerard, that I think are going to be extremely impactful. That we all need to rally together. Parents' bill of rights. I mean, it's important. I mean, parents should always be invested in their child's school, their activities, their curriculum, and never should they be treated as terrorists. So that is going to be key for me as we work across the state, also to continue to promote and defend the Women's Bill of Rights. You know, it's significant. This administration has tried to totally rewrite the definition of a woman, and that is so degrading for all women, but for women here in Mississippi. I mean, I certainly don't want my daughters, my granddaughters, any to have to be in the same locker room, bathrooms, or have a different sports team makeup because of this administration. So we're going to continue to promote our Women's Bill of Rights. And, you know, honestly, Gerard, here we are in 2023. We should never really have to be discussing a Parents' Bill of Rights and a Women's Bill of Rights. But we will. I saw where, uh, for what it's worth, Arizona, uh, a federal judge out there just blocked their law that prohibits biological males from competing in female sports. you got to think somebody's probably going to launch something here in Mississippi and you'll have to go to work. Absolutely. We're glad to. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks a lot. Always good to see you. Good to see you. Attorney General Lynn Fitch has been our guest. When we return in the Element Well studio that is on Founder Square at the Neshoba County Fair, it's candidate for Lieutenant Governor Senator Chris McDaniel. Stay with us. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone it is middays live in the element well studio from the heart of the neshoba county fair right here on founder square that's where it's all happening just a few paces away from the pavilion where the candidates uh, have the opportunity to address mississippians tell them about their campaigns their vision their proposals their resumes etc and joining us now is senator chris mcdaniel he represents district 42 in the pine belt and he is also, of course, a candidate for lieutenant governor of the great state of Mississippi. Senator, good to see you, sir. Thanks yes, for coming on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So what's the, what's the message today? You've spoken already, right? Yeah. Yeah, here's the, here's the message. Um, Republicans have to learn to fight again. We need people in the mold of Reagan, people in the mold of Trump that don't mind standing in the gap and pushing back against liberalism. 
I tell you right now, the uh, the modern Democrat Party is lost and it's radicalized. And so in everything that we do as Republicans, we've got to find a way to defeat those people. You don't defeat them by reaching across the aisle. You don't defeat them by compromising. You don't defeat them by appointing 13 of the 16 to powerful chairmanships the way Delbert did. We're in a war for the soul and the survival of the greatest republic in the world. We've got to learn to be strong, courageous, tough, and unyielding to defend our conservative principles. That's the message of the day. In my mind, it's the message of this generation. It's time to pass the torch to a new generation of Mississippians, those willing to stand in the gap and fight for what we believe in. So, Senator, I know that you have, have uh, highlighted the fact that the lieutenant governor did, in fact, appoint 13 of the 16 Democrats serving in the state Senate to chairmanships of committees. There are 45 committees, as you know. Two do not have a chairman. One is the, the budget committee that rotates year to year between the speaker and the lieutenant governor. That then leaves 42 that have chair with 36 Republicans in the body. That left seven Republicans without a chair, but instead 13 Democrats got a chair. What I'm leading up to is if you're elected, would you only re appoint Republicans as chair and if that means that a member, a Republican member, may chair multiple committees, first, is that legal? Is that it within is. the rules? It's permissible. And, and is that your plan? It is. Yes, sir. I'm not going to appoint Democrats to chairmanships. I'm just not. Uh, like I said earlier, I believe strongly that we're fighting for the survival of this country. The Democrats have told us precisely what their plans are. They're here to undermine our foundations. They're here to change the very fabric of this country. I'm not going to appoint them to anything. We're going to defeat them. Here's the other thing. When you have a supermajority the way we do now, you've got 36 Republicans versus only 16 Democrats, there's absolutely no justification in our Democrat survey, none whatsoever. There's no justification in not passing everything we've ever dreamt of. And the only person stopping us right now is Delbert Hoseman. So being a creature of the rules, that is the appointment process and the number of committees, it's really strange that we have so many committees that end up empowering the other side. It's time to reduce those committees down to a respectable number and, and to go back to your original question. Yes, sir, absolutely. Only Republicans will chair committees. More specifically, only conservative Republicans <laughs> will chair committees. Well, that kind of leads me to my next question, Senator. Maybe we have too many dang committees. I mean, do we need 45? Not a chance in this world. Um, in my mind, it's, uh, it's actually really silly to have that many committees. It's time to be efficient. You know, we, we ask government to be efficient. 45 committees is the ultimate inefficiency. Um, making it more problematic is we've got those Democrats in control where they're literally blocking very, very important pieces of uh, conservative legislation, such as the income tax elimination. And I've never understood that. If we're sitting here watching everything it seems to be uh, unwinding before us. If you talk to my kids, you know, my, my son the other day, he's 11 years old. And he's watching it, and he feels it. Maybe it's me talking to him about it, but he feels it. He asked me, he goes, are we the last ones? And that scared me, because are we the last generation to enjoy freedom and liberty? Can we do it without liberalism just crushing us? And we might be the last ones unless we learn to fight. And uh, that starts with that committee process, because as you know, those chairmen drive legislation. We need conservatives in those positions, never Democrats. So from a legislative priority perspective, I, I, I follow your, your campaign um, your campaign message, and I know that you've put uh, among the top of that list to eliminate the income tax. You've also suggested uh, eliminating sales tax on groceries. Is this something you really believe that we can get done? Yes, sir, I do. It's, it's a matter of mathematics. Uh, it's really simple. If you start with the in, uh, elimination of the income tax, if you look back about 10 years, roughly, about 10 years, we had a state budget of about $4.6 billion. Uh, now our budget's approaching $8 billion. That's a lot of wiggle room. It's almost double what it was just 10 years ago. So we have some room to work. The key here is to find a way to phase it out responsibly without draconian, irresponsible cuts. 
uh, without raising taxes anywhere else. And you do that based on a series of triggers. And what you do is you find a spending cap somewhere between 4.6 and 8. You set that spending cap. You index for inflation. And once next year's revenue hits that index number, you begin to phase it down responsibly. Had we done that just 10, 10 years ago, it would already be gone. It would still be fine. It's time to move. Other states have done it, and it makes us productive. Gerard, you were a very successful business person. My goodness. What if you had had all that money back? You would have expanded. You would have hired employees. You would have purchased goods and services and consumption. If we give all people that type of opportunity, we will take off, economically speaking. You know that, and I know that. Only one person is blocking it, and that's Delbert Hoseman. Gotcha. So uh, what about the ballot initiative? That, of course, is another uh, issue that just feels like it's hanging out there, can't get it over the finish line, can't get uh, some reconciled bill that both chambers can sign on to. What do you think about that? We've got to get it passed. It's irresponsible for the people not to have the ability to petition their government. It's a constitutional right. And what Delbert has done, he, he pretends he's for it, but he finds every way behind the scenes to defeat it, the same way he ripped out the language that would have prevented men from entering women's locker rooms and entering uh, women's restrooms. He ripped that language out at the last minute. Same with the uh, ballot initiative process. What he's done there is he ma he's making it so impossible that it can't really be utilized, not successfully. It was already really hard. It had been attempted over 200 times, only a small number of times had we ever passed a, a, an initiative. It's time to make it workable, and we can bifurcate it. Easier standards for statutory uh, changes, a little bit more difficult standards for constitutional changes. But we have to re-implement the ballot initiative process, and here's why. We work for the people, not the other way around. It's their government, it's their power, it's their control. They should have the right to control us. That's a day one agenda item for sure. Uh, Senator, if we do reinstate the ballot initiative, I, I feel like just kind of paying attention to the, the, the various parties out there that have an interest in getting things passed that the legislature won't act on, I think we may get Medicaid expansion, some sort of uh, expansion of abortion access, and, and possibly even recreational cannabis. Would you be okay with that if that were to pass? No, or? I would not be okay with that. I would fight like the devil to make sure it didn't. But okay. remember, two of the greatest successes we've had as conservatives passing legislation, one was voter ID, yeah. and one was eminent domain reform. That was all done by the ballot initiative process. So we're the ones that have utilized it so successfully over the years. Now bear in mind, if we do... Uh, enter into a phase where people take advantage of it. We still have to respect the people's wishes. I don't like it one bit, though. I'm going to fight against uh, Medicaid expansion, for goodness gotcha. sakes. But that gives the legislature another chance later on the statutory side to admit it if it sees fit. So it's not a constitutional change. I just, uh, it's not our government, it's the people's government, and ultimately the conservatives have used it to great success. I think we can use it to even greater success. Where do you stand on school choice? Let's talk about that. I, you know, I've seen what Arkansas has conducted, what Florida has, and I think we need to be moving toward one of those models while respecting the more high-achieving school districts. Look at it this way. We start with one underlying premise, and this is the premise. If you've got a child out there who's trapped in a failing school district, that child deserves options. More, more specifically, the parents deserve choices. The parents deserve options. I've never understood why we trapped that child there knowing it's going to end miserably for the child. We've got to find ways to get creative. So yes, it's time to move that direction. Still protect our high achieving districts, but find ways to implement competition because competition always makes all of us better. That's a core conservative principle. 
Yeah, we uh, we we sort of seeing we're sort of seeing the walls kind of close in on us on this one because we got Arkansas that's already enacted yeah. it. Iowa did. Arizona, Florida looks like Louisiana, Alabama may be poised yeah. to do so. Uh, seems like that makes sense. Yes, sir. Uh, what about a lot of your constituents? I know are still sore about the flag, mm -hmm. uh, the changing of the flag. How do you think we ought to act there if you're elected? That would be entirely up to the people. That's one of the reasons it's important to reimplement the ballot initiative process. I, well, I trust the people to make the call on that. Uh, so um, that's that's always been my position, always. Uh, what about term limits? Very much favor, very much favor. I don't believe term limits work if the only people who support limits, term limits, are the only ones voluntarily stepping down. <laughs> <laughs> because that's the one thing you never get past. I think it has to happen systemically. Everybody has to be subjected to term limits. That's the only way it shocks the system. For goodness sakes, our system needs shocking right now more than ever. So I support term limits wholeheartedly. It's another day one agenda item. I want to see it passed immediately. Certificate of need. They got to go. We need reform. It makes no sense. Gerard, again, you were a successful business person. Here's the way success works in business. Get the government out of the way and allow smart business owners to do what they need to do to be successful. CON's trap. They don't allow for competition. It's antiquated. It's wrong-headed. They've got to go. Uh, the more competition in the marketplace, the better off we all are. It creates efficiencies. It creates success and success stories. So, no, I want to see an open marketplace everywhere. Gotcha. Everywhere. Senator? Good to see you, sir. Appreciate you coming on, and uh, good luck in the campaign. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Thanks Thank for having you. me. Thank Senator you. Senator Chris McDaniel, candidate for lieutenant governor of Mississippi, has been our guest. We're stepping aside for a break right here at Founder Square. We're at the Neshoba County Fair. When we return, it's Robert Brad Bradford, a candidate for agriculture and commerce commissioner. Stay with us. Talk Mississippi. Two, three, four. Welcome back, everyone. It is middays. We are live in the Element Well studio. On Founder Square at the Neshoba County Fair, we want to shout out to Scott Bounds, Representative Scott Bounds, and our friends at the Neshoba County Fair Commission for their continued support and partnership in bringing our live coverage of the fair to the air each year and for their help in getting our broadcast on the air. They uh, play a part in that as well. It's a little different than a typical remote. We appreciate their efforts, their support, and their accommodations. Joining us now, Robert Brad Bradford. He's a Democrat candidate for the Commissioner of Agriculture and Commerce of Mississippi. Good to have you. It, should I refer to you as Robert or Brad? I go by Brad. Okay, Brad. So we appreciate you coming on. Um, what was your message today in your speech? Well, my speech is, is clear. It's about the whole community. And I've been a certified emergency manager dealing with a lot of disasters that we see. Uh, we try to make sure communities get back, build back strong, and be resilient. I want to take all that along with my uh, agriculture education 
uh, my 25 years of military experience and leading people, uh, completing the mission uh, wrapped around uh, the mitigation part, preventive, uh, things of that nature, uh, to take it to the Department of Agriculture because uh, you have to be an agency that supports all Mississippians. And if you look at today, we're having a lot of disasters hitting farms. Uh, and there are no personnel from the Agriculture Department that's even on ground to try to help hmm. assess that. See, I want to take that, what I've learned, and incorporate it into the Department of Agriculture because agencies have to transform with the surroundings that you're in. Uh, farmers going to farm. You know, we gonna, I, I'm a farmer, uh, Bradford Farms. We're going to put seeds in the ground. We're going to do that. Uh, but what it takes is after a disaster because that farm in that community affects that community being rebuilt because those are revenues coming out of that community. So I want to take the whole community approach and incorporate it into the Mississippi Department of Agriculture uh, for future references. Yeah. So tell us about that. You have uh, a background as a farmer. Your family, right? Yeah, we yeah. have Bradford Farms. I'm fourth generation farmer. My dad grew. He passed. Uh, so my older brother took over. We changed the name to Bradford Farms. So we've been. We used to grow cotton, soybeans, uh, wheat. And I tell people, you know, uh, being an African American farmer in the Mississippi Delta back in those days, you got discriminated. Uh, my dad couldn't read or write. Uh, my brother went to Alcorn State University, majored in uh, agribusiness, came back, took over the family farm, and we was able to shift. Uh, and I tell people this, we've been growing cotton, soybeans, and wheat all our life. So when he said, hey, man, we're going to grow vegetables, I looked at him crazy. And it was a game changer back then um, because we had small gardens, but we never did over 20 acres. He wanted to plant the entire farm and, and peas and butter beans. I'm like, man, that's a lot of work. But it was a game changer because that was the first time a farmer ever did that uh, in our community. And when I say they paid dividends, we haven't looked back since. So, you know, now we still do. We still do it on a smaller level, uh, depending on the contracts and things of that nature, what we grow. So you've got uh, some competition also in the race uh, for Ag Commissioner uh, as Democrats, Bethany Hill and Terry Rogers. How do you distinguish yourself from them? Well, you got to look at it. Experience, education matters when you're talking about executive position. Uh, I'm the only one with executive experience that understands state, federal policies, you know, on that level. Um, you know, Terry, he's a great guy, you know, but you got to look at it. And I, I'm, that's one thing about me, I'm honest. Uh, a 19-year-old trying to oversee 220-some employees with their age ranges 30s on up, I don't know about you, I have a, my youngest son is 20 years old, and I'm still guiding him, you know, I would not trust him with, you know, my budget, let alone a $20 million budget. So, um, that's, the, that's the distinct between he and I, the education. Uh, Bethany, a uh, great person too, but her platform is just one entity. You know, hemp is great, uh, and I incorporated that into my whole community because that's in my vision, uh, working with those, bringing those new industries in, but... Uh, you have to be realized, you have to get community buy-in. I learned that from being an emergency manager when you're dealing with the lowest level because everything starts and ends at the, the city level. Those elected officials, they have to say so what goes on in their cities and their municipalities and their counties. So you have to have community buy-in. Uh, for her to just say, we're going to put hemp in the Delta. I'm from the Delta. You know, we grow soybeans, cotton, you know, vegetables, catfish. I'm from the catfish capital of the world, Humphrey County. You know, hemp is a great idea, but you have to be able to look at other resources where you're going to put that uh, because you got your security aspect of it, and then when you're growing that, how is that going to tell affects the neighborhood because everything affects the neighborhood where you put that. You know, I'm like to say, charity starts at home. If if you want to grow something, you grow it in your own home first, then let me look at it, and then uh, we can move forward with that. I see. So, uh, Brad, have you 
built any relationships with members of the legislature? Have you have you talked to them about your candidacy, your your ideas? Right. I I, I talked to uh, Representative Johnson. He's from mine. I talked to a lot of those. Robert Johnson. Robert Johnson. Uh, he's from my uh, Butler. In all those around my uh, community, bit um, everybody understand that it's going to take the whole community. It's just not this side. And, and my idea of that, you got to be able to work with other state agencies, also federal. Uh, you know, my plan to go in with the USDA um, and have them MOUs, right now we don't have that. We have some just on paper, but they're not actually doing it indeed. And we have to partner with those uh, to make Mississippi great. What about uh, building a team? Have you thought about uh, who, who you might bring on? Should you be elected to the Ag Commissioner? Well, you, you got a lot of great people in that. And, and being a military leader, you don't go in and get rid of everybody because that's expertise. And you give that those agency personnel a chance to work. Uh, you know, that's one thing about me. Uh, like being in the military, you know, as military leaders, you take, you take command over these uh, companies and battalions. You know, you don't choose your people. You know, but if you go in with a great vision and try to instill that vision in them and uh, making sure they're going on the right track of your vision as a uh, commissioner. So, um, you know, I don't like to replace people because that's experience. We get in, we can work together. So that's that's when you start dividing, when you come in and bring your own team and stuff in. So I won't do that. Of course, the com commission uh, primarily deals with the agriculture industry, of course, and as such, you're responsible for promulgating policy that affects farmers. Have you talked to the, the farmers about some sort of uh, policy changes that they need that right. they'd like to see implemented? I'm a farmer myself, so I've seen it. I've been there. So I understand what they're going through, you know. So it's, it's second nature to me. Uh, and also, you know, trying to bring that help uh, to the state of Mississippi because there's no – you know, you may be a large farmer with 3,000 acres farming cotton, or you do a rotational crop uh, in the wintertime, but everybody play a vital role in it, and you have to understand that bringing those people to the table, see, that's what the whole community approach is. Get those large farmers, get those small farmers, let's get at the table, because what affects them also affects everything that trickles down. So you have to build a team based on the community, not just what I assume of that. So because everybody's different, everybody farms different things. Are you concerned about uh, the, the large explosion of just big companies, major corporations that are entering the farming industry, buying up land across the country, honestly? Right, and, and we have to stop that. We, we have to, and that's why I always say everything starts and ends locally. We have to get back to the small because large farmers, you started small. You know, over the years you acquired and leased land to get up to where you at, or like everybody, you inherited it. Yeah. You know, so those are on two ways, but we have to start taking care of Mississippi. Mississippi have enough resources to be self-sustained, to be a agricultural juggernaut, but you got to have the right vision to get there. You know, that's why my vision is a four-year plan. For, that's what I intend to do. If, you know, the current commissioner, he's going on six years, it's too late for that. Uh, you have to start thinking now uh, for the future. That's why my uh, campaign is sowing good seeds. The time now is to put the seeds in the ground. I may plant, but somebody else may come by and water, and somebody else may harvest. But uh, you have to understand, you know, being a ag guy myself, ag major, uh, the first six inches of any soil is the most fertile. So you got to take care of the top first. Hmm. Don't worry about the deep of the root. 
you take care of the first six, and all those play a vital part in that seed growth, and that's what I intend to do. Brad, you talked about a plan. Is this something that the voters can can uh, access? Is, is it? Have you published like your ideas? Yeah. Uh, for the office. Yeah. Right now, I had done because I'm getting through the primaries. Okay. Yeah. So once I get through the primaries, I'm gonna find my, uh, my plan and what it entails. Um, because it's a, you know, as we call it, learning and immersive management. It's a wicked problem. A wicked problem is a problem that's out there. Can't nobody seem to solve. But you continue to chip away at it uh, to get the best knowledge to bring the best people in. Uh, to pr produce the best ideals for this agricultural growth. You know, I look at this particular office, Brad, and, and I kind of scratch my head. I think a lot of voters do. It's like, why is party affiliation important? I mean, is there something different about being a Democrat agriculture commissioner versus a Republican? Well, only two things that's red in agriculture, that's strawberries and blueberries. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you have to understand, you look throughout the whole uh, United States, there are 13 states that elect ag commissioner. I'm against electing ag commissioner, but it's just something we have to do because our ag so commission, our ag commission should be appointed just like the MEMA director, just like the director of transportation, all those directors. Because you can't have a party affiliation. You know, agriculture is for everybody. You know, we all breathe the same air. But don't nobody complain where it comes from, do they? <laughs> you know, there's no red side of air, no blue side of air, a red blue side of air. But you know, that's way I'm flexible at, because being in the military, you have. I've worked for Republican presidents, i work worked for Democratic presidents, but one thing I understand is getting the mission done, and that's what I've always done, you know, I've been out the military since 2016, a lot of my soldiers still respect me, they call me back and say, hey, sir, we need you back in, <laughs> I said, no, nah, I can't do that because I'm married, my wife is tired to give it up, <laughs> but it's just that leadership style that you have to have and be able to change the dynamics of an organization, and I know for a fact that I have all that. Gotcha. than any candidates in this race. Brad Bradford, candidate for Agriculture Commissioner, has been our guest. We appreciate you joining us, Brad. Good luck to you. Thank you, man. Coming right back with Tiffany Longino, candidate for Lieutenant Governor. Stay with us. It's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi. everyone middays from the neshoba county fair we are at founder square having a big old time at mississippi's giant house party we've taken in some of the speeches uh because they're speaking not too far from our our vantage point and then they come on over here to the element well studios set up under the super talk tent we got the super talk team helping us out with that we certainly appreciate all the candidates giving a little bit of time here on middays we were scheduled to have uh, tiffany longino candidate for lieutenant governor on during the segment but we have been informed that she had to depart the fair dealing with a family situation and and we certainly hope that everything is okay with that we're trying to get henry barber i'm told rhino to come over and give us his take on the proceedings here at the fair we've got uh, some folks have asked on the ceasefire text line about lieutenant governor delbert hoseman will he appear on the show today that is scheduled in the next hour at 12:20. at 12:05. it's insurance commissioner mike cheney and then lieutenant governor delbert hoseman 
the current Agriculture and Commerce Commissioner Andy Gibson at 12:37, and then we wrap things up today at 12:50 with Greta Kemp Martin, uh, candidate for Attorney General. So, what do you guys think so far? I, I um, we had, of course, the candidate for Lieutenant Governor Senator McDaniel on the program. I, I will tell you that I'm seeing lots of folks here at the fair. Uh, who are supporters of of the Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman, supporters of the challenger Chris McDaniel. They're all, they're all of course, sporting their uh, their their uh, attire is a good way to put it that features the candidate's name. Some are holding signs, etc. And I and I just refer to that race today because that's certainly the the top. Uh, uh, office of the speakers today, Lieutenant Governor, would headline that list. And again, I think it's fair to say that from a Republican primary perspective, this has been, uh, it is the most contentious. It is the one that has received all the attention. I think once we get through the primary, it's going to be uh, incumbent Governor Tate Reeves in his race against Democrat challenger Brandon Presley. So look who's here. It's Henry Barber, the man that's got all the answers. He is joining us. Got about three and a half minutes left. Henry, good to see you. Thanks for coming on, man. We've had a full slate of candidates, as you well are aware. It's Neshoba County Fair. I'll have to say, my first time to do the show in an election year. And uh, Alex Payton, our content director, has filled us up with the candidates. What do you think? Well, it's exciting. It's exciting to be here. It's um, it's a great day. I, I think everybody was looking at the lieutenant governor's race. I don't Just think said any, that, yeah. Any, any secret about that? And I have to say, both candidates did well. No, Chris McDaniel is a better political performer in an environment like this. But I thought Delbert did very well. Um, I think they both did. Um, I might disagree with some of Chris's messaging. And I think strategically, probably, I would argue, probably not the right contrast. Catch your breath, man. I know you hurried over here. On on issues for for Chris. But but I would say it was a draw. Okay. Um, and And I thought it was interesting that the McDaniel people and the Delbert people all had on navy blue T-shirt. I just said that. I, I observed the same thing. Yeah. I, you're totally right, and it's kind. Of, so it's kind of hard to differentiate. Great minds think alike. But but they're here, and they're here in numbers for they, from both candidates. They are. I will say, I've seen I've seen Founder Square a lot more full. Okay. And I and so as I was walking over here, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, low turnout. And this primary is probably better for Chris you think so? than for Delbert. Okay. I, do, I do think so. I think, I think Chris's voters are probably more motivated and intense than Delbert's, to, to some degree. Not yet. And, but I think if – so my message is to the people who want Delbert to win is you better get yourself there to the polls and vote. Seems like there's, to your point, more motivation – to uh, replace someone than there is to keep them in office. Right, and, and Chris is a great motivator. I mean, and I, I, I anyway, I, I could argue. No, if he had run his campaign yeah. differently. He, you know, he, he'd be in a stronger position. We got about a minute left. Any key takeaways that maybe you hadn't heard before from either one of those candidates? 
Uh, it, it, well, I th- the, the fact that Delbert, you know, kind of took off the gloves and okay, and and I think called Chris on some things, and including his inaction in the Senate. I thought that was an interesting take. Hey, I made you chairman, and what'd you do with it? Nothing. It's fair to say that the lieutenant governor's kind of been on the receiving side of the mudslinging more than he has been on the throwing side of the yeah. mudslinging. He, he, he threw a few punches today, yeah. Gerard. Well, that's likely what we'll see over the next couple of weeks. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Henry, appreciate you taking some time to come over and see us. We're taking a break right here, folks, from the Element Well studio at Founder Square. It's the Neshoba County Fair. When we come back, we've got Mike Cheney. He's the insurance commissioner of the great state of Mississippi. Thanks, Henry. A great American, Mike Cheney. Coming right back. And now, now. the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. on Founder Square, just a few paces away from the pavilion on this. Hump day. And we welcome to the Element Well studio here at the square, Mike Cheney, the Mississippi Insurance Commissioner. Good to see you, Commissioner. Always a pleasure to be here, Gerard. <laughs> well, I caught a little bit of your speech this morning from the pavilion. What you talking about? What? Uh, what's your message? Well, I, I did vanilla ice cream and apple pie today. <laughs> you try not to say something too controversial. But our message is that uh, we made a lot of progress in Mississippi. Uh, with the help of the legislature, we've been able to avoid some of the problems they've had in Florida and Louisiana with uh, all the companies going bankrupt and pulling out. So we still have a few problems on the coast, but nothing serious and uh, no big rate increases or anything that would shake up the consumers, so we've been able to handle the market. All right, so I've heard uh, some rumblings about uh, trouble getting the carriers to cover wind on the coast. What's we, going on there? Well, what's going on? Reinsurance, and that's a reinsurance for the people out there that don't understand it. It's where an insurance company will sell off a lot of their risk uh, to out-of-country out of reinsurers, and that, that's common. That's been going on for thousands of years. They used to do it on caravans. They did it on ships. And the cost of selling off that that reinsurance is is doubled and tripled in some cases, okay. and most of that's due to the war uh, between Russia and Ukraine, the threats by uh, North Korea, the problems in China and Taiwan, and then you got Washington politics with the ESG problems, and that's a, that that plays big. People don't understand what ESG is, but ESG is environmental, social, and governance, and that's that's a big deal. We're going to be facing a lot of that in, in the future years of uh, where big companies uh, will have their stock controlled by a consortium of um, investment bankers, so to yeah. speak, and they voted for uh, environmental reasons. Yeah, and they're more focused on those social issues than they are uh, producing a profit and uh, generating returns for their investors, and, and that, that can sometimes cause a conflict with fiduciary responsibility, as you well know. Yeah, your fiduciary responsibilities to your stockholders, and if you've got uh, retirement plans that are being controlled by 
uh, people that don't have the same interest as a company where you have your retirement money invested, you've got a real problem. And yeah. uh, that that's the problems that we see coming down the pike. What about uh, health insurance? That's a big one I know that you deal with awful lot. You you had this conflict that you um, were in the middle of with respect to UMC and Blue Cross Blue Shield, I believe the largest private carrier in the state of Mississippi. Seems like that got resolved. Um, you, you pleased with that? Well, we're, we're pleased with the fact that we got it resolved. It took nine months. I was never pleased with that. And I'm not pleased with the fact that uh, we tried some legislation to uh, kind of open up the door where we could look at how Blue Cross markets their products under the what we call the Blue Card program. Yeah. All the commissioners in the United States are kind of interested in that program. But uh, the bill got vetoed. We'll be back, and uh, there are other ways to skin that cat, and I'm doing it. Okay. I just I don't want to talk about it publicly right now, but I, I want the public to know that we're trying to protect the consumer. The issue here is that if you pay money for a contract, for a health contract, whether it's through your employer or yourself, that you're entitled to those benefits under the contract. And if they say we're going to do X, X Y, and Z and pay certain health care and certain drugs, they got to do it. And they can't arbitrarily arbitrarily now would not pay a claim that's a valid claim and that's been the biggest problem and the second part of that is that they have to pay a fair price to the uh, health care providers and that's where the the cloud is we don't know where the money's going who gets it and what what happens to it and i'm not knocking blue cross of mississippi they're a good outfit um they do a very good job but they've lost a lot of market share because they don't write a lot of their own paper. In other words, they only write about 240 or 250,000 policies, but they administer almost a million policies. And that includes the state plan. And you've got to be certain they're being fair on the pro uh, the policies they administer because those policies were usually sold at 30% higher than what you would buy one in Mississippi for. Hmm. So what we're seeing is more of a move towards uh, what we call the Medicare uh, gold standard. That's the market price or the base price of what you will reimburse a carrier for. Medicaid's usually less than Medicare, and commercial insurance range anywhere from 10 to 67, 80 percent higher than Medicare. So the providers Medicare, or Medicaid, uh, Medicare, Medicare, okay. Medicare. To so 80 percent higher. About 80 percent higher is what they wow. look for. And they okay. they'll come into my office and say, "Look, we can't make it on, on Medicaid and Medicare. We got to get money from somewhere Most else." Most of them will tell you that's upside down. And it's upside down. The whole thing's upside down. And then to top it off, the federal government has started doing what insurance companies are doing, and they're going in the Medicare Advantage plans. Nothing wrong with that plan if it's truthful in what they sell to a consumer. But uh, if a consumer buys a Medicare plan, they want to know what doctors in that network and what their formulary is for drugs. And Medicare Advantage plans can just switch that overnight without your permission. Yeah. So you may thank your your doctors in the network, and you go to the doctor. He said, "I'm not in the network. You got to pay me out of your pocket." Yeah. So that's a big, and I'll regulate that. So, you know, I'm going to Washington, saying to my congressional delegation, "Hey guys, we're going to start dumping all this back on you because you've got to give us some authority to make sure that the consumer is protected in our state." The the healthcare industry, uh, Commissioner. Seems to be in dire straits in the state of Mississippi. Been a whole lot talked about, written about. Uh, some of those hospitals are really struggling. They really are. And um, I, I, I talked with a gentleman here at the fair late yesterday. I came around making some rounds, but I ran into an old, my old friend Jim Perry, who uh, sure. chief of staff for Haley. And Jim's a really smart guy. He's, yep. he's in the investment banking business. And we talked about he's on the state health board of trying to do a study on rural hospitals. And they've got the money to do it. They started one, and I legally can um, do a small study on what we can do on the healthcare side 
so we're going to try to combine our forces to look at the rural health care problem and how we deliver health care. Uh, the, the model's changing. You look at Greenwood. My oldest child was born there. Greenwood will probably go under unless we pull a rabbit out of the hat. But to provide health care in that market, we've got to change how we do that. One of those parts is telemedicine. And that leads us back to why we had such so many problems with Blue Cross Blue Shield. They didn't want telemedicine. Right. The other is doing what we call kiosk and strip. Well, it's not that they don't want it. They just don't want to reimburse for it. They don't want they want to pay half of what it yeah. would, they would pay for an office visit. And, you know, Gerard, that goes to ambulatory surgery. Now we got off in the ditch. So ambulatory surgery is where doctors like Jackson Hart will have their own clinic outside of St. Dominic's. And uh, the health insurers want to pay less than what they would pay if you were in the hospital. And somewhere there's some medium in there where we should all meet. But I don't have the ability to help negotiate that. My job is to protect that consumer out there that thinks they're going to have a bill paid because they had a contract yeah. and it doesn't get paid. Yeah. Well, uh, of course, the, the issue of Medicaid expansion, as you well know, has been discussed quite a bit in our state. Uh, we, we are now among 10 states. The latest to expand was uh, South Dakota. Uh, yes. Just went into effect July 1, so there are 10 states that have not. Of course, you're well aware that would extend coverage to able-bodied adults with an income below 138% of the federal poverty level. It's estimated we have about 220,000 Mississippians that would, that would receive coverage or be eligible for coverage in that plan. The hospitals say we're treating them now, we're just not getting any money for it. Well, I don't necessarily agree with the hospitals on that issue. Okay, They may tell you that. But I've asked them to show it to us on paper okay. because here's the deal. They may say we're doing injured care, and they'll charge that injured care at the highest price possible. Let's say that an appendectomy normally costs you two or $3,000. That's appendicitis. Uh, on their books, the, the base price is 20000 Yeah. So they'll charge 20000 on injured care against their bottom line. So yeah. we, have to, we have to look at that. So let's go back to your Medi Medicaid expansion yeah. question. I think it's a little late to be talking about that. Uh, the legislature doesn't have the fortitude or the, or the will to pass Medicaid expansion. And that train's kind of left the station. We Seems missed like that it. boat. Yep. So here's what we're doing at the Department of Insurance. Okay. Uh, we have the ACA. And the uh, federal government's helping us advertise this. Uh, you can move people that are on Medicaid, and when they when they get off of Medicaid, and we took thirty nine twenty nine thousand off in June, first month, about half of them can get on the ACA, and we gotta make sure we have open enrollment and adequate help. That means network adequacy. But here's the catch: they gotta pay part of the price. It's not free, and and most if you got a cell phone, you can pay forty or fifty dollars a month to get some primary health care. Yeah, well, uh, under 150% of the federal poverty level, their premiums are zero, but they're still responsible for the out-of-pocket costs. Yeah, they got to you know, pay out-of-pocket. Could, up to $3, could be up to $3,000 a year. But There's some other subsidies they get to even offset some of that. But, yeah, I hear you. So it, it, it's, a, it's, it's a route. And I've talked to the members of the legislature about this, Mike. I've explained this is a rule that just went into effect permanently. It was temporarily in effect during COVID. It ought to be an option for us. And, and it would be cheaper for us to do that. Yeah, and, and, and no state cost. And no state cost to us. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's where we ought to be. Keep pushing that. I'm pushing it. Okay. <laughs> All right, we appreciate you coming on as always, Commissioner. Good to talk to you, sir. Always a pleasure, Gerard. Yes, sir. Good luck to you in Good. the election coming up. Pre pre thank you. Appreciate your show. Yes, sir. Thank, thank you. you. We're coming right back, folks, with Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. We're in the Element Well studio at the Neshoba County Fair. Stay with us.
talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's middays from the Element Well Studios, set up at Founder Square at the Deshoba County Fair, Mississippi's giant house party. We welcome Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. How's it going there, Governor? Good, Gerard. How have you been? Doing great. So I know you spoke uh, this morning. What's what's the message? What's the what are the key points? Well, we we went back and. Uh, <clears throat> went back to what we've been doing, which uh, was talking about education. We raised teacher salaries a thousand dollars two years ago, and now this five thousand dollars this last year, and we put a hundred million dollars in uh, in schools, you know, in the classrooms this past year, and uh, I was real excited about that. People are real appreciative on education. We've got early learning collaboratives, dual credits. We funded dual credits where they can go to a community college while they're in school and whatnot. So a lot of real positive things. These career coaches, uh, I met with a bunch of them the other day up in North Mississippi, and I was so impressed. They had five of them, Gerard. People don't talk about this, but your, your audience is, is well-schooled, let me put it that way. They know about this kind of thing. We have like 140, I think, now, like maybe 50, 60 different schools have these career coaches, and we've funded them up this year. And what they do, they go in and they sit with these children, these young men and women, and they go over what's your career path, you know, what, where are you going, and and a lot of times this is a, you know, this is guidance that they get from somebody that's not in the home or whatever, and so it's very helpful. And one of them stood up and said we had 72 students in the senior class, 71 of them now have a career path, and that included everything from going to a community college or a university system, but also into technical school. So we're, we're actually getting out and influencing their decisions when they're like juniors and seniors. And it was story after story of, of these people coming back to these career coaches and how much they love them. And they're, they're com- they become like an aunt to them or an uncle, uh, you know, somebody close to the family. And they follow them after, after graduation to make sure they stay on their career path, whatever that happens to be. And all five of them gave these just tremendous... Um, accolades about what this career coaching was doing in, in schools. Schooling in Mississippi has changed dramatically. You know, and we never talked about career coaches before, early learning. Uh, you know, we're pre-K. We now have 6,000 kids in public pre-K. $100 million for school districts. Uh, $40 million comes out of the lottery, as you well know. Y'all are doing great, so that's going into the classroom. And then raising teacher salaries. Uh, all of that was good infrastructure we talked about that it was about 2.3 billion the most we've ever spent we're actually funding out in 2025 so we're funding out two or three years from now they'll be building out three four five years from now so real pleased with that we did one that would be near and dear your old heart when you were running your business we made it where it's 100 percent deductible if you buy a computer or a logging truck or a tractor uh, yeah, if we could just right. get the federal government to uh, back off on their phasing of that out. And I, I'm, I'm, we we uh, shortened Mississippi, so this year, anything <laughs> after July 1st, you can 100% write it off. That's because some of this equipment, I talked to a guy the other day, skidders are like $500,000. And uh, one guy that's doing asphalt work in Mississippi, 
Very good company. Been around a long time. He, he's paying a million dollars for that. You know, you see that machine that goes along and eats up the asphalt and throws it out the back into a truck. That thing was a million dollars. And so the, it's so expensive for these people, and that cost is passed on, of course, to us yeah. in, in the bids. So we're, we're trying to help businesses do that. And, and so, uh, you know, we talked about tax cuts and $500 million worth of tax cuts. So we just went down the whole laundry list. And the things that people don't hear and the ones that you uh, appreciate, we paid off $500 million in debt. Now, that's never been done, Gerard. Like, we've never had a $500 million, $525 million tax cut and a $500 million worth of debt paid off. So that saves us. Well, you do the math. If it's 6%, that's $30 million. Especially with interest rates uh, rising. And, and we're, we're going to see another rate hike today, uh, I'm pretty yep. sure, here coming up in about an hour. And it looks like we might get another one later on in the year. And they might stay that way for a while because price of oil is rising. And that's going to, I think, reignite inflation, though the president tells us we're in a post-inflationary <laughs> environment. Well, I don't we're believe that. We paid off 12% of Mississippi's debt. Right. So uh, we're positioning ourselves, if we have... Uh, if the national economy has a bad one, we're we're going to have people building roads and doing the things, and we're going to pay down our debt. So income tax elimination, as you well know, uh, Governor, was just a huge issue mm -hmm. that was taken up by our legislature. We did pass, as you indicated, uh, significant tax reform. Yep. I, I think it amounts to about $500 million a yep. year once it's fully implemented. Yeah, two more uh, As we're phasing out, uh, we phased out in year this first year the 4% bracket. Now we're, we're trimming bracket. down the 5% bracket, right. ultimately right. down to 4 We'll have That's one right. bracket at 4 right. It's no secret that uh, your opponent uh, attributes uh, the fact that we didn't get full elimination. They attributes that to you. Are, are you the holdup there? How do you feel about that? Well, I, I, I don't know about being the holdup, but let me just tell you. I'm glad you said that. We are cutting three-tenths, four-tenths. We're doing away with brackets. We're cutting three or four-tenths a year. We're actually ahead of schedule uh, what was proposed back when by the House, which included, Gerard, a 2.5% sales tax increase so we're on track faster for the elimination and without raising anybody's taxes that's number one then number two let's say we just did away with the grocery tax and the income tax okay that's 2.2 billion dollars thanks more than that now i think it's 2.6 the last time i looked at it i could be wrong governor but i but i believe and leah's shaking her so head at me i think it was 2.4 from income tax 400 million from okay. gross, so 2.6 billion. 2.6 billion. So our education is running us about 2.2 billion. Right. So what are you going to do? You're going to cut out education? No, you know what's going to happen. Your property taxes in your county are going to go through where you can't keep your house. That's what's fixing to happen to you. So instead of doing this in incremental parts like we're doing it, where we can absorb it and pay down the debt on the other side and keep going in a, in a reasonable business way, just like you used to run yours, no, let's just eliminate the income and grocery tax, and we'll find $2.6 billion, which is about a third of our whole, uh, our whole income. No, the way to do that is to continue on gradually decreasing each. And grocery tax will come up this year, and income tax will come up this year. And we got money in the bank. So we can address those kind of issues, and we can do it without having that. And then the other thing that you know, of course, PERS is coming to us October 1st. Glad you said that. I was about to ask you. And it's <laughs> coming back. It's an, an absolute sacred obligation of the state of Mississippi. We're going to pay PERS. So you go eliminate $2.6 billion. Well, how am I going to help PERS? I mean, what are we going to do then? $19 so, billion dollar unfunded liability in PERS. It, it, 
we they had asked us at the first of the year for like 365 million a year and so they withdrew that and i'm not sure really why I wrote us a letter saying they'd come back in october 1st with a new proposal but i doubt if that proposal is going to be we're going to reduce the state's contribution it's yeah. going to be we're going to have to put more money so well it we goes into effect next july we got a five percent right. increase so what happens if you eliminate the income tax and the grocery tax where are you getting the money for that you're going to leave Tens of thousands of Mississippians hanging. A lot of that falls, uh, of course, those obligations on municipalities and counties Absolute. as well, Cities, other public counties, sector entities. Uh, university, I mean, everybody. Yeah. And so, We've talked to them about it, I know. <laughs> so it's, it's coming like the train down the track, and you go eliminate the income tax, um, child, and you're not going to be able to help the people that we owe that actually built the state, you know, put us in the position that we are now. So I'm... Um, I'm more convinced than ever that we, we did the right, moderate, time after year, cut after cut approach to Mississippi's uh, taxes, and we're going to continue to do The this. other high-profile issue, of course, uh, Governor, is the the ballot initiative, the ballot measure process that we, we couldn't seem to get agreement between the chambers on that in the last couple of years. What do you think is going to happen there? What do you say? Well, we passed it out last year, and, this, and the House wouldn't take it, and so that's been back and forth. With the higher signature threshold. We did. Than and they, ours, than they I think ours was around 160,000, a little bit less than that. Uh, 8% of the registered voters, and I figured if 8% of the registered voters didn't sign something, then the other 92% ought to have to fool with it, because you, you hire everybody every year. So if you can't get at least 8% of the people uh, to say this is a major problem for us to address, we shouldn't do that. So I, it didn't come out of one of my committees, so I did a very unusual thing. I brought it out and put it in another committee, the Rules Committee, and we brought it out and passed it on the floor and sent it to the House. and. They were not interested in, in 158 or 160,000 signatures, and that's the Senate position today. And when my senators come back, I'll get them to address what they think about it. I think a ballot initiative is, is needed, and I think we ought to have one. That's how I got voter ID was a ballot initiative. we got about a minute left. Uh, what about the committee assignments? That, that's mm -hmm. something that uh, Senator McDaniel has, has really gone after you on. Can, <laughs> explain your rationale there in the minute. Well, you well, first of all, George, you're real smart. We had 45 committees and 36 I've been through the math. <laughs> it's impossible. I had to name some Can Democrats. you not name a Republican to, to chair multiple committees? You can, but how is she going to be effective? How is she going to be effective? I'm going to take her out of, say, say run uh, uh, appropriations and then run libraries. I mean, you end up with poor by uh, both committees. Maybe we need so, fewer committees. We could use fewer committees, and the ones that I assigned to Democrats, like federal and library and all this stuff, nobody's ever heard of all the bills. About half of them didn't get any bills. Yeah, I so, agree. All right. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you for coming you. on. Thank Lieutenant you. Governor Delbert Hoseman has been our guest on Middays. When we come back, it's Commissioner of Agriculture and Commerce, Andy Gibson. Stay with us. Thank you. Started today. Everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back. 
back, everyone. It's middays from Founder Square at the Neshoba County Fair. Of course, we'll be here again tomorrow as well. Don't forget to tune in. We'll have a full slate of candidate interviews once again. Joining us now is Andy Gibson. He is the Commissioner of Agriculture and Commerce for the great state of Mississippi. Commissioner, good to see you, sir. Great Thanks to be for coming back. on. Thank you for having me, Gerard. Thank you for braving us this great weather out here at the Neshoba <laughs> County Fair. Yes, sir. Uh, let's first talk about this. Uh, uniquely Mississippi. It is. It, this is an original agricultural event, a pre, premier agricultural event of the state of Mississippi. That It started with agriculture. It's still continuing. You can go down to those livestock barns and see our best youth, 4-H and FFA, not only from Neshoba County, but a lot of them from other parts of the state. Yeah. And it's built from that and have become the premier political speaking and the carnival and all the races, everything here, it ties back to agriculture, Mississippi's biggest industry and the biggest driver of our economy. Still represents about 35% or so of our total economic output? It does. A study was recently done. Uh, on top of the $9.72 billion of, of farm gate value our farmers produced record last year, uh, it's about $26, $27 billion of economic, direct economic output for this state. So whether you're talking about chicken, which is our biggest product, our cotton, corn, soybeans, forestry is a huge component. By the way, we've doubled our agriculture exports as a state and created new markets over the last five years, including wood products. We really needed to develop that and we've done that so it's growing it's a growing industry and uh, it's directly related to what, all the good things happening here in Neshoba County. So how would you assess Commissioner the health of the agriculture industry in the state of Mississippi? Well like all industries we've got headwinds that we face we, although we've had record production uh, this inflation has hurt farmers uh, worse than anybody. The, the cost of fertilizer has doubled. cost of fuel, as you know, was skyrocketing last year. Uh, the, the, the input cost to raise the crop is about double what it cost two, two years ago. Some of that is because of the COVID pandemic scare and the supply chain crisis that we saw. A lot of plants around the country shut down. You couldn't get parts. You couldn't get what you needed. And so prices have skyrocketed. I think a lot of it's attributed to the failed policies that we see coming out of Washington, D.C., pumping all this money, fake money, into the economy yep. and, uh, you know, propping up all these, you know, failing uh, outfits. I think those are headwinds that we face. But agriculture strong. In fact, we had record production three years in a row despite COVID. Hmm. Hmm. We have had uh, uh, production last year, $9.72 billion worth. That uh, nearly touched $10 billion for the first time in history. And uh, we surpassed over a billion dollars of that in exports. And that's valuable markets for our farmers. What I'm deeply concerned about is what's happening around the world today that we don't have control over. I'm, I'm worried about the weather patterns that we see, the war in Russia, Ukraine. Just yesterday, Russia was bombing the grain bins in Ukraine. That's a third of the world's grain supply. I'm worried about these out-of-control, radical, liberal environmental regulations that are trying to shut down farming, not only in this country, coming out of Washington, D.C., but around the world. I went to uh, Europe because they passed environmental regulations to shut down their farmers, and now they're trying to figure out where to get their food. All these things beyond our control are what I'm concerned about, and I think we need to act to think about our food supply, food security for the long term. I'm sure you've seen the, the cattle farmers across the Midwest are really struggling this summer yep. with a drought. They are, and, and that drought is 
partly because of the solar patterns they tell i had, had a i went to the farm bureau meeting the other day and they had an expert weather uh, <laughs> person who said the solar flares are on a trajectory they have an 11 year cycle they're supposed to peak about 2025 and they were looking at some really serious weather conditions so we need to know about that and we need to prepare for it food supply and we got to eat before we do anything else yeah. and i think uh our farmers are do, doing everything they can. Uh, we have seen a lot of good improvements. We've got a lot of local food, genuine Mississippi food, uh, through our program that we're trying to raise awareness of. But there's infrastructure that we need to put in place that used, Mississippi used to have, but it's just fallen away over the years, like yeah. uh, central market, value-added processing, canning. Uh, you know, cold storage, the, the average cold storage in America is 57 years old, and it's less efficient than, than modern cold storage. We need that at our ports and harbors, our transportation hubs, so we have ready access to food supply, regardless of these factors that we can't control. Yeah, and and I'm watching the price of oil is, is uh, ticking up again, and there's a fear that that's going to reignite inflation, as yep. you know, because... Oil, fuel, energy is embedded in every product and service we consume, honestly, and this is a problem. And unfortunately, Washington, I almost feel like they celebrate that when it goes up. They think we're going to consume less. Make some more batteries. (laughs) You can't raise the food to feed the world on a battery power. A battery power. You just can't do it. Anybody who knows anything about farming knows that. Yeah. Uh, it's too it's too big, and the world food supply is a one year at a time proposition. Yeah, every farmer knows that, and I think Mississippians know that. So we got a, we have an opportunity here, I think, to to rebuild our agriculture infrastructure, which is what I talked about in my speech today. Uh, and it's it's a generational opportunity, and it has the potential to double the economic uh, powerhouse of agriculture in Mississippi. Of course, Commissioner, you're seeking re-election. That's why you're here and talking to us today. You've got uh, some candidates, on the, certainly on the Democrat yep. side, that have been very outspoken. They've been critical of you. What, why should the voters uh, re-elect you, sir? Well, i got a track record of getting things done, and uh, I have uh, proven over the last five years that not only do we have the vision to, to, to see what needs to be done, but we've gotten it done for our farmers. We have promoted local access to food. We've expanded farmers markets across the state. Uh, we have, as I mentioned, tapped new markets for our farmers and expanded existing markets. Uh, we've kept agriculture strong despite that pandemic. And when you couldn't find what you needed in the grocery store, you could go to the farmers market and find it uh, during COVID-19. Uh, there are things that we need to do. I've got a vision for the next four years in terms of agriculture infrastructure rebuilding that this is the most important infrastructure that we can invest in and i think the legislature has the opportunity to do something generational uh, in terms of strengthening our food supply chain infrastructure i I work closely with the legislature have had good success we have consolidated since i've been commissioner three different agencies the fairgrounds the central market and department of agriculture those three agencies used to be three separate agencies we consolidated them into one and we're now operating three agencies for the price of one and we're getting more done that is the definition of conservative leadership i i don't promise that i can provide that i'm already providing that and i think uh, as i mentioned we see what liberal democrats are doing in washington they're destroying this country we're not going to allow them to destroy mississippi to mess up our beloved state the way they messed up this country ruination coming into america by these liberal policies environmental radical uh, i just think the people of mississippi 
are, 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 are sick and tired of seeing the Democrats destroy America. We're not going to let that happen to agriculture. I know you have a history of serving in uh, the legislature in, in Mississippi, and, and of course, that, that's who makes our laws. Do you have any anything uh, on your legislative agenda in the coming session? I sure do. In fact, I announced today what I'm calling the Mississippi Safe Plan, Strategic Agriculture Facilities Expansion Plan. This is the type of infrastructure that I'm talking about when we think about preparing for the storm clouds on the horizon of food scarcity, food insecurity, uh, agriculture value-added processing. We've been talking with our legislative leaders for a couple of years about this. I find broad support for it. It's the number one question I get as I travel Mississippi from people. Do, is our food supply secure? Because they don't want to have to depend on, you know, what's happening in the world around us and uh, somewhere on the other side of the world or somebody in the Midwest for our food. They want it local. So I think this is an opportunity to rebuild and strengthen Mississippi's existing agriculture infrastructure. Uh, we'll be proposing that. I just announced today by way of press release the components of that plan, regional food hubs uh, for distribution, storage, processing, and uh, also strengthening our farmers markets infrastructure uh, for their cold storage needs, mobile processing, mobile farmers markets, and finally uh, we need to deploy equipment on farm uh, as far as uh, on farm processing. We need to make sure it's available to our farmers in this state in a strategic way that it has not been and also for distribution. Take our ports and harbors. We, we're, we're, we're strategically positioned as a state. We could be the agriculture and food supply hub for the entire southeastern United States, the Mississippi Gulf Coast. If we built out our cold stores there, modernized it, the Mississippi River uh, over the Ten Tom Waterway, the, our hub of transportation up in DeSoto County, from North Mississippi, Vicksburg, Meridian, Hattiesburg, the Gulf Coast, the opportunities to double our agriculture economy and jobs are endless. I'm excited about it, and I look forward to working with our legislature to get this done for the good people of Mississippi. Appreciate that insight, Commissioner. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate you coming on as well. Have a good fair, and uh, good luck on the election. Thanks we'll for coming see you. on. Thank yes, you. sir. Thank you. Commissioner Andy Gibson, uh, he oversees the Department of Agriculture and Commerce, has been on middays. When we come back, it's Greta Kemp Martin, candidate for Attorney General. Stay with us. Oh, I've been Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are on Founder Square at the Neshoba County Fair. Just want to pass on quickly that the Sports Talk folks are going to do a remote. Uh, tomorrow, actually, at KLLM, when they unveil the new football equipment.
tractor trailers out of KLLM, and then that's for Ole Miss, MSU, Southern Miss, and JSU. And then tomorrow they're going to be in Hattiesburg for the Dixie Youth Baseball D1 and D2 World Series. We welcome to Middays Now Greta Kemp Martin, candidate for Attorney General. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So I caught a little bit of your speech uh, today. Yeah, you're running a course for attorney general. You have uh, some history as a practicing attorney. I do. Uh, and it, you feel like uh, Attorney General Lynn Fitch has is, is kind of uh, left some holes in the office, shall we say, that you, you seem to highlight today. Uh, can you just tell us about that, your platform? Absolutely. Um, I, I think the largest hole that General Fitch has left is, is just the issue of corruption. Um, I think we are all familiar with the uh, scandal that has been ongoing regarding our Tana funds and you know the, the biggest question I get on the campaign trail is is why haven't the Attorney General gotten involved why hasn't she made a quote why hasn't she explained that why this was punted to private attorneys and private law firms when the taxpayers pay her to look into public integrity issues and so that's right at the top of my platform because I don't think that we have scratched the surface on corruption in Mississippi politics and even if we have or haven't we deserve an Attorney General that's going to prosecute and investigate and you know I've been doing I've, I've been practicing attorney for 13 years I've been a people-centered attorney I've, I've represented people in ju- in front of judges and juries across the state of Mississippi and and it just comes natural to me I enjoy representing people and I think that's what you need in an attorney general um, other than that I just uh, I, I have quite a bit of, uh, of issues that I would tackle as attorney general and um, but corruption is at the top of my list okay so if, if you were to be fortunate to win in November be sworn in as Mississippi's uh, next attorney general, would you transition that case to the attorney general's office uh, away from uh, the current uh, uh, private lawyers that are handling it? Absolutely. Um, I believe that it should be in the hands of the attorney general. It is at the top of her job description to uphold public integrity and prosecute state corruption. You talked about corruption. Are there some other areas of corruption that you've got in mind you would like to pursue? If you elected attorney general. Well, I think right in front and center, considering we are at the eve of a primary election day, I think looking at campaign finance law, I think that is an area of our state that has been left um, unprosecuted, uninvestigated. And I think Lieutenant Governor Hoseman has brought to light in his campaign with regards to Senator McDaniel's uh, potential campaign finance violations, you know, the AG has the most clear authority to investigate and prosecute those complaints. Mm -hmm. And I believe that that campaign finance is an area that the AG's office should be looking into and prosecuting those that do not follow the law. Okay. Uh, Any other issues of corruption that uh, you think the Attorney General should look into? Well, I I do believe the Attorney General has an obligation to look into law enforcement across the state. I think I mentioned today I am the daughter and granddaughter of law enforcement. I'm very well versed in the law enforcement community, but I also understand that there is a need for oversight for our law enforcement across the state. Um, we, you know, have some allegations of police misconduct coming out of Rankin County that they've asked the Attorney General to look into, and, and to date, she's not made any comment or any um, indication that her office is going to look into that, and I think that's another area where not only does our law enforcement need support, but I do believe the AG um, should provide some oversight. As an attorney, you've been involved in disability 
disability rights, fighting for those. Tell us about that. That's correct. I'm the litigation director for Disability Rights Mississippi. That is the protection and advocacy agency for the state. There's one in every state and territory in the United States. I mean, what we do is provide pro bono advocacy and legal services mm -hmm. for people with disabilities. And so we do that across all 82 counties. Um, it is a job that I love and only one that I would give up for the opportunity to represent all Mississippians. But we do great work. And, um, you know, people with disabilities uh, deserve advocacy and they deserve representation. And I would continue that work as the Attorney General. Does that also involve Social Security disability benefits? Do you get involved in that, per se? We do a little bit of that. So uh, we have been designated by Congress to uh, oversee and monitor the representative payee program, which yeah. is where people are appointed to be beneficiaries for people with disabilities. And so we have a team that looks into uh, misuse and fraud in that program as well. And our representative payee team does a great job, and, and we are happy to, to do that work as well. How's the campaign going? It's going great. You know, I've, I've lived in Mississippi my whole life, and I have found cities that I did not know even existed. Uh, but uh, my favorite part, you know, I mentioned earlier, my father is running as a Republican for sheriff up in Tishomingo County. Okay. I had the opportunity a few weeks ago to spend a weekend campaigning with him, and that was a special moment. So I'm, I'm really excited about being able to share this election cycle with him. You feel good about uh, Election Day coming up in a couple of weeks? I do. I do. I think the people of Mississippi recognize that there needs to be a change in Attorney General. And whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, you've got to put somebody in office that is willing to fight for you. And to be perfectly frank, I think the AG's office should be a role that's nonpartisan because it's not about party politics when you're trying to apply the law, and, and it's not about that for me. I see. Greta, appreciate you coming on. Good luck on the campaign. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Greta Camp Martin is a candidate for Attorney General of the great state of Mississippi. We're out of time here today from Founder Square at the Neshoba County Fair. We certainly hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. We're going to be right back here tomorrow. We'll do it all over again. I think we'll have candidates for governor coming on uh, the show in the Element Well studio. Come by and see us at the Neshoba County Fair. You can't miss us. We're near the pavilion. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. A Super Talk Mississippi yeah. media production.